0: Hey guys, welcome back to Handling It. I'm your host Catherine, and as you know, I thought I had my life all figured out, and then I realized I actually didn't. But I'm handling it, and one of the best ways I've learned how to do that is to talk with others about how they're handling their own lives. So this week's conversation is going to be revolving around the tasty and savory. Our guest today is Sara Kia Papoa, artist, photographer, food creative, and founder and curator of the plant-based Instagram account, She's So Delicious. I came across Sarah and her She's So Delicious account recently, as I'm currently working on a plant-based vegan diet myself. Her work, but specifically the relationship she's created with food, is something that I find so enlightening. She puts so much care and love into the dishes she makes and thought into the ingredients she uses. I think sometimes it's very easy for us to ignore or not pay attention to the food we're consuming and putting into our bodies, and how that food we're eating affects our mood and attitudes. Sara focuses on the healing potential of food, and through the vibrant dishes she makes, reminds us that food really is a beautiful thing. So for anyone who loves to cook, or like me, just simply loves to eat, you're in for a treat this episode, so you know what to do, turn up the volume, get comfortable, and I hope you enjoy. All right. Well, today we are joined by the amazing Sarah Kiyopopola. Sarah, thank you so much for coming on the podcast and sharing your story
1: with us. It's my absolute pleasure. Thank you so much for having me, Catherine.
0: Of course. So for anyone who may not know, you are the creator and curator of the plant-based Instagram account, She's So Delicious. Um, You're the author of two books, An Opinionated Guide to Vegan London and Bento Power brilliantly balanced lunchbox recipes and you're also as you said you're an artist uh in sort of this your own realm um I'm really interested to hear about sort of all that you do um how you started your career you also have cooking classes that you do as well correct yeah sure
1: cooking classes and uh food photography classes so um um, so I guess everything that I'm doing right now um, and for the past five years, in fact, since I started my Instagram account, because that did change my career
0: mm-hmm.
1: uh, hugely. But um, everything that I do now is centered around food. That's the easy way of of, uh, of saying it, I guess. Um, so food and imagery, imagery I, I would say. And... Um, uh, if you ask me how i started my career i would say that i've been involved in with food and i've been involved with healthy eating and uh, vegetarianism uh, for my whole adult life it's not always been a uh, uh, my my work but my work has often been related to it somehow so i started out coming to the uk as a uh, just wanting to kind of like, as a bit of a rebel, I guess, not wanting to uh, do a normal job and, uh, you know, finding my way amongst the sort of more alternative scenes that there's plenty of here in the UK. I I grew up in Sweden um, and then came here via um, spending a few years studying in Japan. And uh, so right from the beginning, I just found these sort of green scenes and, um, uh, also, um, I was working in an organic food shop uh, part-time for, for some time, so I learned, learned a lot about food then. Um, and I also, at the same time, was making my own uh, brand of um, underwear that I would hand-dye <laughs> and hand-paint... <laughs> <laughs> that sounds crazy. Amazing, and sell at a street fashion markets in London. So there's always been this kind of um, duality of food and uh, something natural and organic and looking after your body, and then there's been this other side of me which is uh, to do with uh, Im- image and, um, and color and shapes and you know how you present something. Mm-hmm. So then that sort of led me on to. Um, Going back to studying and studying art, and then ending studying um, studying uh, dance and visual art, which seems completely random in the context now, but it's not that random. Um, and um, and and during that time, also working as um, a freelance graphic designer. So there was this huge interest in the body. Mm-hmm. So I was using bodies and my bodies, other people's bodies, in my work as a a performance artist and then I was on to support myself working as a graphic designer so this was my situa- situation for quite a few years after finishing those studies and um, everything actually sort of then yeah but I was I was never really sure which area was the mo- more
0: right you I mean you really paved it- your own path uh, if you will, you know you created a space, a realm for yourself creatively to work on a bunch of different projects, and yeah, really just create a space of your own, which is something so beautiful. And I, again, like you said, the UK of all places, it really allows you to tap into different industries and these alternative routes to creating a career. And I, I you brought up your upbringing before. I was really mm. curious to um, hear about that because you were you were born and raised in Sweden. You have uh, Japanese and Bulgarian roots. How did that yeah. influence? And then you studied in Japan as well. How did that influence your your cooking and ingredients you were using, dishes you were making?
1: Um, I guess growing up in Sweden uh, meant that I. Um, Um, At at least when I was growing up, there was quite a sort of practical approach to food and practical approach to cooking, not maybe the the sort of Swedish cuisine in there. (laughs) When I was growing up and, you know, what we were eating in school wasn't that exciting exactly. But since my my mother and my grandparents were Bulgarian, they brought that sort of food culture into our family. So um, there was a lot of emphasis around eating together Cooking, like cooking together, having big meals, and and um, I guess a bit slightly more. um, There's more vegetables and beans, and there's just a little bit more. Like there's there's more vegetables, you could say, in Uh Bulgarian cooking, whereas in uh, Swedish typical cooking, traditionally it's a country with a very long winter, so there's a lot of preserved food, there's a lot of dairy, there's a lot of fish, there's a lot of meat. And um, it's, uh, it's, it's it's a diet for a uh, harsh climate. So, um, um, yeah, to see you through, like, you know, to make you study and see you through <laughs> the long winter. So, um, but but what is, I think is a big takeaway from having lived in Sweden is this uh, emphasis on uh, the environment and the uh, environmental effect of all our behavior. And that, of course, also filters into our food so i think that's something i brought with me from sweden from bulgaria there's more about uh, flavors and um, uh, the uh, rituals around Mm -hmm. food i think And, uh, and then of course living in japan um it's really interesting actually because i didn't grow up with my japanese parents so i never experienced japanese food growing up and um and then um living in Japan, coming to live in Japan as a teenager and then as a, a university student, I found that the food just seemed to fit me really well. I really liked how it felt. Like I, I enjoyed eating rice more than I enjoyed eating bread. Um I was never really into dairy anyway, like you know, my parents in Sweden were trying to get me to drink milk and eat cheese, and <laughs> I just wasn't really into it. And then um, being in Japan opened up this whole other world of, of different ingredients and a uh, cuisine not based around dairy, which I to find out I'm, I'm intolerant to anyway. So that kind of made sense. But um, um, yeah, I, I really enjoyed the, um, the way that, that ingredients were used in Japan. Uh, there's an emphasis, of course, on seasonality, But also on using ingredients quite in this in their sort of pure form, Mm -hmm. more than not really boiled together with loads of other things to an unidentifiable mush. But more keep keeping um, letting each each ingredient shine, um, which I I really enjoy, and that's big part of my um, cooking now. And and Mm -hmm. it became a big part of my cooking after moving to London and um, being then vegetarian and working in this organic shop where I had all this amazing produce available to me and then realizing all I needed was some really good ingredients and then you don't really need to do that much to them. They just taste great. So (laughs) I
0: guess. (laughs) Yeah, I mean, it's really incredible how much an area or like a location can influence what you're eating Uh, like i know when i moved to new york i i grew up in a small town in pennsylvania and it's a lot of uh traditional like i I mean there's tons of pizza restaurants and italian restaurants um and then we're from a very like polish area so a lot of meat and potatoes um and it wasn't until i moved to new york that i was able to experience just a wide variety of different foods and not just, you know, different ethnic foods, but plant-based foods. Um, Mm. It was my first time really experiencing like vegan, whole like vegan meals. Mm. Um, Before that, it was just something that I, I had heard about. So that really started to like change and shift what I was eating and foods I was really interested in. Um, I've talked about this on the podcast before, but I have tried to switch to a more vegetarian and more plant-based lifestyle. Mm. It's not always, like I'm not always perfect at it. Um, There's times where I slip up. But um, yeah, that's been sort of my journey with food is just trying to tap into what I'm interested in and what I'm not. Um, Mm. I've really spent a lot of time looking into you know, you brought up the environment before um, the impact certain foods have on yeah. our environment, um, certain animals. Uh, I've, I've done a lot of research into that, so I, I think it is like it's it's a growing, it, it, it's a gradual experience, but yeah. it, it's something that I think just as we evolve. <laughs> Uh individually you know we did we start to learn what we like what we don't like what's good for what we think is good for us um yeah, yeah. so that's
1: been yeah, and, what ma- and what makes us feel good because you do notice um mm-hmm. as you change what you eat you 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 do feel different so
0: exactly um,
1: but it, it's interesting what you say because i i i agree and 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 a little like there's a parallel between you Going to New York and me going to Japan and mm-hmm. suddenly realize well I actually really like this and this and this but I never knew about it before
0: right I never had
1: seaweeds before I never had yeah. <laughs> I never had miso and and, and and things like that well I not not much at least um and um and then you start being able to shape your own uh, idea around food because obviously when we grow up can't really do much about what's available to us Mm -hmm. when we grow up. And it's also, you know, what our family feeds us and, you know, what's usually, it's a lot of uh, people, there's a lot of conventions, I guess, around the way most people eat. Mm -hmm. And that's understandable. But um, um, it's an interesting moment right now where we are uh, learning about so many other ways of eating and so much other types of food, even by, uh, of course, through social media, it's like a huge place to mm-hmm. learn so much, and the internet in general. um And as you said, you you knew about vegan food before coming right. to New York, but you hadn't had a chance to actually no, there experience was going out and eating it. Exactly, like, <laughs> there were
0: no there were no restaurants, there were no shops. um Even like the grocery store, you know, <laughs> we were lucky we had an organic section. There was yeah. never really a ton of access to plant-based foods um, or any type of like vegan vegetarian items, uh, which made it very difficult. But again, it it took sort of being exposed to a new place and a new culture of eating to tap into that. And then I realized, wow, I really enjoy this and I feel good. Um, Well, and that was the other thing that I wanted to Um, discuss is that, you know, you had mentioned uh, before when we were corresponding, and then you're very open about it, you actually really tapped into cooking while you were overcoming an eating disorder. Um, If you feel comfortable talking about that at all, and sort of your journey with food and cooking after that.
1: Mm, Sure. Um, Yeah, I think I was... Already, I I was cooking from a young age and really interested in food from a young age um, before (laughs) I I had an eating disorder. But I I guess um, food uh, can have the emotional uh, charge of, um, you know, for me, especially growing up, food was home, food was love, food was how my grandparents would express their love. For, for for their family and so on. So it's a very emotional thing. And it's also food, something we need to do every day, we need to eat every day. Mm-hmm. So um, I, um, just to say, first of all, that it's been a long while since I overcame this this period in my life, but it was a period which carried on for quite some time and was really impacting me as a person. But then, you know, you can ask yourself, Is it the eating disorder that's impacting you, or is it you that are creating that disorder for yourself because there's something in you that isn't that you're not um, dealing with or you're not happy with, and so on? So, um, uh, for me, it was a long journey of, uh, and I think definitely uh, cooking and plant based cooking, vegetarian cooking. Uh, just exploring foods was a large part of, um, it was both a large part of the uh, disease or the illness or the imbalance, I mm-hmm. would say, as well as a way, one of the ways out of it. So when I say that it was part of the the. I wouldn't say issue, but it was part of um, my behaviour. Mm-hmm. Was to be obsessed with food. So, um, in a way, you can say that it it pushed me to really explore food a lot. <laughs> so I would, I I have tried so many um, different ways of uh, eating. I was, um, you know, I was l- reading a lot about nutrition. I was uh, reading into uh, Chinese medicine and the different elements that make up food and um, um, or how food is part of the balance in your body that is to do with the different elements and so on. Mm -hmm. Um, And um, I was also, you know, going down quite extreme routes as raw vegan for, for a long period of time and, and so, so on. So and within all of those more extreme ways of eating, uh, there's uh, there's a lot of knowledge to be had. And I think you can take a lot from it. So I have elements of, of, of all of that. It's kind of integrated into the way I eat now. Mm-hmm. Um, but I think for me, uh, you said like, um, or I said <laughs> that it was also partly a way out of the uh, the uh, that phase, um, I think it um, the combination of um, noticing how food affects us, like how it affects our mood and how it affects our bodies, um, which is something that I became very very aware of, of course, during this this phase. That kind of um, paired with and um, working on other sides of myself that was more to do with my confidence and my, um, my, my view of myself, um, right. the combination there was really important. And I, I uh, definitely think that the art, the artwork that I was doing, the performance art, had mm-hmm. a huge part in that because I was working with my body and realizing that my body could actually do good things and that it was something that i could be proud of and that mm-hmm. it was something that i could explore and that i was really um yeah I, I got a lot of my a lot of my insecurities and a lot of my dark <laughs> darker sides and i was able to express them through physical like expression and mm-hmm. and and creating art so
0: yeah and that's so. such an amazing thing and I completely agree with what you were saying. I think I feel like young men and women are at such a young age are given this mindset that we eat good to look good mm. when in actuality, like you were saying, it's really to feel good. Mm. looking good is just a benefit of it, sure but it, it's really to to feel good and to have just better energy and mm to feel like better, like you said, about your body. And um, it's sort of nur- nourishing um, yeah. you and your soul, if you will. Um, yeah. But yeah, so I-, I completely agree with that. And I'm glad you were able to tap into that. And, um, you know, because there's not much awareness of it. I still think as a society, we really, we really continue to create this mindset that, yeah, eating we eat right to to look good and to look a certain mm-hmm. way.
1: Yeah, and is this food fattening, or is it like, is it healthy? Mm-hmm. Is it you know? There's so many. Yeah, there's there's a focus on, as you say, how it makes us look, rather than it, it how it is making us feel. So, for example, just all this like diet dieting. Well, low fat. Well, now fat fat is. <laughs> Passionate. <work. laughs> so you know all this. You, I mean, there's so many products that are supposedly healthy and that has the right things in them, but they are extremely processed. And mm-hmm. and uh, and to me, that just seems like it's not the way to feed your body if you want to feel good. It might reduce calories so that you will look skinnier if you eat that for you know a period of time, but it's it's not going to make you feel better in your body mm-hmm. so um yeah the focus kind of uh, the, the the focus needs to move from from the external and just to do with external to uh, coming more from from your insides i think well and um, it was interesting you said before you you got more interested in plant-based food uh, vegetarianism and so on and you said but i'm not always perfect i slip right. and i'm like no it's, it's it's um we need to be um much more generous to ourselves as mm-hmm. well, and also realize that even reducing like whatever reduction we could do of of the, the type of food that isn't serving well, the planet or us so much, any reduction yeah. is like it's it's a great step so yeah. Right.
0: Yeah, I know it's because it is. It's still something that's new to me, and I'm still growing and and trying to figure out what works best. Um, what, again, what foods I like, what foods I don't. Um, it's all very new. So yeah, I I, <laughs> I need to get myself give myself the benefit of the doubt of the doubt sometimes, but I cut myself a break. <laughs> but well, I want to talk about your amazing bento boxes and the food you create and put out on she's so delicious it's so beautiful and um you know again we talked about that caring for what you're caring for yourself by the food you're consuming and my gosh if like we could feel as great as your food looks (laughs) um it's amazing so for those who don't know would you explain i guess a brief little definition of what bento is?
1: Sure. Um, bento is a um, Japanese lunchbox. It's a uh, packed lunch. And um, it is something that um, is very much part of Japanese culture, everyday culture. Um, a lot of uh, mothers will pack lunches for their children and for their husbands and i just saying this because there's a quite a gender divide in, gotcha. in Japan still about who cooks and who, um, mm-hmm. it's changing of course but it's slower than for in example Sweden I think mm-hmm. and um, so a bento is uh, that packed lunch that's been um, made to take to work or school um, and the difference between a um, typical Western packed lunch would be that it's based around rice because rice is the staple of a lot of Asia, mm-hmm. Asia, and um, and and then it also resembles a Japanese meal in that rice is the main, and then there's um, a number of small dishes, so like little bites of different types of dishes. Each dish um, having different textures and colours and so on, and Uh, a a sort of visual trait of of a bento box is that it's usually very beautifully arranged so everything is it's not just a mixed pasta salad (laughs) everything
0: has a home I feel like I say that phrase a lot for a lot of things but I'll go everything Mm. has a home
1: (laughs) yeah exactly and they're all kind of working together and uh, there's there's so much uh, scope if you want to make it into an incredible little piece of edible art if you want mm-hmm. in the way that you're combining the different mini dishes and so on so um yeah it's also like a bit of an act of love because sure. it's something that's lovingly put together to to take give to your family members or yourself mm-hmm. um to and yeah. uh, uh, to you know open up at lunchtime and have a little special gift
0: from home. <laughs> I know, I wish I had somebody to make me some bento boxes, but I guess I could make them for myself. Um, What inspired you to, I mean, was it your time in Japan? What inspired you to start creating bento boxes and then create a whole book about it?
1: I um, I, So as I I mentioned, I spent time in Japan um, as a student and I was uh, living with uh, uh, a couple of Japanese families Mm -hmm. Uh, during that time host families that were looking after me and making me bento boxes every day to take to school or university and so I was aware of bento boxes and also it is something present in Japanese you can buy one Mm -hmm. in in the station or you know if you don't have someone to make it for you you can buy one (laughs) um (laughs) but um (laughs) I then, um, uh, as I said, like being a bit of a rebel, I never really had a normal office job, but I did for a few weeks. And during that time, um, I, this was a f- quite a few years back now, but I, during that time, I was quite surprised to see what people were having for lunch
0: mm-hmm.
1: and eating at their desk or bringing back from the sort of local supermarket to have and I I felt that this is not the kind of food that is going to fuel you and make you you know have great energy and and so on and uh, and I also was really kind of stunned by the amount of packaging that I could see that people were going through like on a daily basis you know, the, the typical desk lunch here would be, you know, you bring a few little pots and things and a sandwich and a bag of crisps and then a drink and then some chocolate or biscuits to have for later. I'm like, this is, I cannot, I cannot, I cannot live like that. Right. Um, but but I, I also felt like I would, so I started making my own lunches. Mm-hmm. Very simple at that point. Um, But that was the moment where I thought, I'd love to be able to put together a book um, to help people um, to see that there's other ways of doing it. You can can do it and it can be done quickly Mm -hmm. and it's going to make you so much better in the long run. So I feel so much better right. and
0: all. and to shine a light on it because again for me I had you know heard of bento boxes but I had heard of the American version and idea of yep. bento boxes so I had no idea and I was that's why I was so marveled at your page on Instagram she's so delicious because I didn't even realize they could be so I didn't even realize food could look so colorful and so beautiful and have <laughs> such like you said you use the word care and love put into it mm. um so, yeah, it was so beautiful. And I'm so glad you created a whole book on it to, again, highlight the idea and the concept in general.
1: Thank you. Um, yeah, I guess um, the uh, the bento boxes I was making were a little bit different in that they were healthier mm-hmm. than typical Japanese bento boxes because I was um, using elements from, you know, having been involved with Plant-based food and health foods and raw foods and right. so on, but for a long time. So I was incorporating more of that uh, mm-hmm. into into the foods. And I then the reason I started putting them out on Instagram was that I um, I, uh, I I'd started making bento boxes for my partner, who was just having those sort of sandwich lunches. Mm-hmm. Out. And I thought I just must rescue him because this is right. <laughs> like how am I going to do it? <laughs> but, yeah. Um, and um, and we we went to Japan together, and and suddenly I just clicked. I'm like, oh my god, I'm going to get a cute bento box because it's it's a big part of the bento culture is the container.
0: Mm-hmm.
1: So not just a tupperware with like you know a clip lock that is just right. a bit grubby. or whatever. No, you have like a nice box that looks cute, looks. Mm -hmm. look stylish Um, so I just bought a few bento boxes and then started making um, bentos inspired by that trip I think Mm -hmm. inspired by the trip and then also inspired of my my own background in in healthy eating and then it just I started putting the boxes on Instagram this was five and a half years ago in the beginning there was just bento box. I mean, now there's a mixture, there's loads of other things as well. Mm-hmm. But um
0: It really took the... off. It did uh, take it's off. Because
1: I don't think anyone else was really doing that as mm-hmm. at least not um not j non-Japanese well even if a Japanese person wouldn't make bentoboxes boxes like me because they're just too untraditional right. and or <laughs> <laughs>
0: Well, and that's, so I'm really excited myself to start creating my own. I I really want to go to a store or a a shop, a market and get my ingredients. I'm like ready to go. Um, what are some of your favorite dishes? I mean, what's been some of your favorite dishes to make during quarantine?
1: Mm, During quarantine? Well, quarantine is different because obviously there's not really the need to take your lunch anywhere, Mm -hmm. um, with you. But, um, I think what, what, um, what, what I think bento power is uh, useful for is that it introduces you to a bunch of Japanese wholesome ingredients that can be used in so many different ways. I mean just to take miso paste
0: mm-hmm.
1: for example or, um, <clears throat> or sesame seeds or sesame oil and also uh, things like seaweeds and different ways of using them because I think um in here where we are mm-hmm. in, in the west um people may just be familiar with with a small handful of of japanese dishes or japanese ingredients and and that's it you think okay japanese food sushi uh, miso soup mm, okonomiyaki maybe if right. you're like really pushing it <laughs> 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 but but the the thing is that when you are actually in japan you realize that the, the food culture is so incredibly rich and the, the typical ingredients that uh, I've taken to my heart from that food culture mm-hmm. are so um, uh, variable. So uh, they have so much potential to, to be used to create so many different kinds of dishes, mm-hmm. not just traditional ones. And, um, and I feel like with, with Bento Power, I'm using a small group of base ingredients. And they can also be wholesome. You don't, you don't need to get like crazy sugary uh, versions. Uh, they can be really wholesome. And then you can use them with a few techniques um, that are um, also a lot of them are based on Japanese methods. Mm-hmm. For example, the way of quick pickling something, just taking a vegetable and pressing it with, with something salty or squeezing it with your hand mm-hmm. um, and That's such an easy, it's such an easy technique. Sure. And you can use it with so many different vegetables and it just adds something to your meal. I'll have
0: to try that. Yeah, I'll have to try it. Well, is there, um, is there like a favorite dish of yours that you've been making lately, maybe during the summer or just something that you've really, you know, been craving and making in your kitchen? From the book? From the book, from your own concoction. Um, yeah, it Just, I'm just so curious, you know, uh, I feel like we've had so much extra time on our hands with um, mm. this quarantine, with this period. Is there anything new or, again, from your book that you really love making? Mm.
1: From the book, um, something that I've loved making, maybe not just just for like, for myself but also mm-hmm. because I see a lot of other people love it is um, the sushi sandwiches on and I do love making them like to, to have myself because it's such a simple way to to make us like a small meal well it can mm-hmm. be a big meal if you make more than one sure <laughs> but, <laughs> so sushi sandwiches um, uh, just rice
0: mm-hmm.
1: cooked I'm um, uh, Japanese rice or Brown rice, um, and then rice and whatever fillings you want wrapped up in one whole noddy sheet. Um, so uh, you sort of fold it up like a parcel, mm-hmm. parcel, and then you just eat it like that. So it's, and you don't have to do anything particular to the rice. It's not like actual sushi rice, which you need to season it and all these kind of mm-hmm. different things. It's very simple, and you can just use whatever you have to fill it so I've been putting even things like hummus or like Ooh, you know interesting it is, yeah there's there's no rules really
0: awesome um, and that, that's my favorite kind of food I think one where there's there's no guidelines on how to make yeah. it you can yeah. really you know create your own thing um I think that, mm, those yeah, are my favorite kinds of recipes
1: <laughs> yeah no exactly yeah. <laughs> so So that's, that's also something I've been um, teaching in a few classes to how to, how to make them because Mm -hmm. um, it's, it's just whoever tries those sushi sandwiches loves them. Yeah. And it's not my invention. They're not my invention. (laughs) I'm not taking it. It's just to show something that is obviously a thing in Japan, but just.
0: Different to the Western world.
1: Yeah. Just not so known outside of Japan. Um, so that's been great and I've also been um, I have been uh, something I've been doing a lot of is sprouting stuff um, in lockdown nice. sprouting and growing um, green sprouts so um, so I yeah it's, it seems like quite a sort of um, old school um, thing to do mm. but it is an incredible um way of improving the uh, nutrition of um, pulses and seeds and, um, and it's also something sp- satisfying like when you're in quarantine and you're spending a lot of time at home it's very satisfying to you know soak your lentils, um, put them to a sprout, see little tails coming out and then using them in the cooking. So things like pulses when they are mm-hmm. just a little bit sprouted, they just cook really quickly. And that's just easy to use for like quick meals that are also really nourishing. Yeah. Um, and then I've been growing pea shoots. That's just any old peas that are whole. And then you just sprout them a little bit and then put them in a little bit of soil. And then you end up with these amazing green tendrils mm-hmm. that Look amazing on your windowsill, taste great, and again, it's just really satisfying to tend these little seeds, these little seed babies. <laughs>
0: That's amazing. Well, yeah, I myself have even cooking with more vegetables because I, you know, I'm working from home now, and I could just go into the kitchen once I'm done working, and I can take the time to clean and wash and chop um, more vegetables, <laughs> and you know, I have that extra time on my hands now. Mm-hmm. So it, it, that's been fun. Mm.
1: Yeah. No, it, it's true. I think with a lot of whole foods, um, it it is more time consuming. It mm-hmm. is more time consuming if you are going to cook your own beans, or you know, right. you are going to, like as you say, wash and clean and chop and you know all the vegetables from scratch. Mm-hmm. But I think by doing that, by by investing a little bit of extra time you don't only save on a lot of packaging
0: Mm
1: -hmm. because you're not buying the ready-made or the small, you can buy, you know, larger bulk and and so on. And um, so you don't just save on packaging and money, Mm -hmm. but you also, um, I think you get to know the ingredients better. So Mm -hmm. if you, you know, if you're having to wash and clean, and then peel, and then cut vegetable. You you can you can you 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 get to know a carrot better. You understand a mm-hmm. carrot better. If you soaking you're soaking your beans and grains, um, you understand more how they what happens when you soak them in water and they start expanding, and that they are actually a seed. They are actually like a little. Uh, egg (laughs) a plant egg it's just waiting to grow into a plant so I think it connects you more with your food Mm -hmm. and especially if you're yeah Yeah. for plant-based food is a lovely thing to be connected to food when once you start connecting more to meat you're like oh my god I mean me at least I don't want to eat this yeah but um
0: (laughs) giving the food the extra care it deserves for sure
1: yeah and then you're giving that that goes into your own body right. and... Uh, exactly. Well,
0: self. I'm I'm so excited for people to check out your work. And when I do the episode description, I'm going to link up uh, where people can find your books. And then hopefully they can try out your recipes and experiment with, with bento boxes, especially. Um, that's something I'm really looking forward to doing. Um, but before you go, Sarah, since this is handling it, we like to ask our guests what life advice, um, they've had along the way, something that's really helped them a lesson they've learned. Um, has there been any lessons you've learned in your life, um, as a chef, as an artist, uh, cooking, um, maybe a piece of advice that you have that's really helped you handle your life? I,
1: I, I, it seems like the pieces, the advice is, um, it it shifts depending on where you are in your life sure so um i i would maybe say something uh, recently mm-hmm. that just a, a piece of advice or just an insight um and um yeah it it's around the Self sufficiency and looking after yourself, and uh, not just looking after yourself as in self care, but looking after yourself as a adult and and uh, being able to make your own like, as a self employed, like someone who works for himself, mm-hmm. to look to uh, have it, have an income, to to be self sufficient, and 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 so on. I, I had this conversation with a um, a friend of mine who is. Um, well, a, a male friend of mine, because I have a lot of female friends. Mm-hmm. And then so I was having this conversation um, with, a, with a male person. <laughs> and we were talking, he was talking about men and women. And so um, maybe he had slightly traditional views in some ways, but then he was saying something interesting about um, how he as a man felt that he just had, when it, when it came to work, he just had to get on with it. He just had to make it work financially, time-wise, everything, because he had, had this inbuilt um, uh, need to provide.
0: Mm-hmm. That
1: he needs to provide, and he needs to provide for his partner, for his child, and so on. And he's like, I can't like doubt mm-hmm. myself too much. I just have to make it work. Right. And I thought, wow, that is actually great advice for me right now. It's the more you doubt yourself, the more you wonder, oh, is this the right thing to do? Is this the right thing to do? Um, the longer it's going to take you to make things work. So if you just have that, like, add that slight urgency mm-hmm. to, um, to to your life and, and also this, um, it's almost like caring a little bit less. Yeah. What other people are going to think and... Um, and then the end result is to push things forward and it works.
0: Mm-hmm. I say that a lot. Don't, you know, not to let other people get to you, not to really um, exert a lot of, of care on what other people say to an extent, yeah. um, but not to let that rule how you live your life. Um, yeah. Cause that's just another added pressure on yourself um, yeah. to really, I think, and which is why I loved, you know, that we were going to have you on. Um I think when you really create your own path and create an outlet of your own, you've you've done so with your work. Um you've yeah. experimented with uh, different things whether it's artistry, food, um and and you've created a brand for yourself and a name for yourself. So um yeah, I completely agree. Don't let the influence of others weigh on your shoulder. Yeah. So Well, Sarah, thank you so much for coming on. I'm so glad people were able to hear your story and I can't wait for them to check
1: out your work. Catherine, it's been a total pleasure. I'm uh, really great chatting to you. And um, yeah, thank you so much for having me.
0: All right. I hope you all enjoyed hearing from Sarah. What I loved most about my conversation with Sara was hearing her talk about food and our diets with such elegance and beauty. When you look at the dishes she creates and documents on the She's So Delicious account, you can clearly see the care and appreciation that she puts into her recipes. And I think the key here is realizing that we all can do that with the meals we make for ourselves. To put that care and love into our food for ourselves is something we should aim to do every day. A plant-based diet, as I mentioned, is something I'm still trying to work on, and I'm happy that Zara has her cookbooks and her social media account for me to use as a guide. So thank you, Sara, for coming on, and thank you, listeners, so much for tuning in. As always, let me know what you thought of our episode. You can reach us on Instagram at handlingitpodcast, and feel free to send us a message and let us hear your thoughts and suggestions. We'll see you next week with a brand new episode, but until then, keep staying safe with everything going on in the world right now, and keep handling it.